Alright creatures of the night, welcome to episode 129 of Talking Taker, our encyclopedic exploration digging up the career of the greatest professional wrestling character of all time. My name is Alex Dorio, I am one of your co-hosts and I want to thank you for joining us for yet another round of Dead Man Talking. And I am joined, as always, by my tag team partner, my wrestling buddy, my fellow creature of the night. He is the president of the Alter Bridge fan club, Mr. <laughs> Travis Wright. Travis, I got a riddle for you here tonight. Oh, riddle me this. All right. Have you heard the one about the man who can't be destroyed? No, who's that? Oh, I, I, I don't. It's, uh, it's the Undertaker. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, the man he who was, walks with angels? He was buried alive. He was burned alive. Yeah. <laughs> he went through a match with Luther Reigns. <laughs> he came back. Yeah. He came back. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't heard that, you're going to hear it about 146 times over the course of this buildup. Whew, it's a lot. It is a lot. We got a lot of ground to cover tonight. We are skipping ahead through the summer of 2007 all the way to Unforgiven 2007 and yet another Undertaker comeback match. I feel like we've got to do one of these twice a year and that's some sort of Undertaker comeback <laughs> yeah. match. But he'll be taking on Mark Henry here. Uh, some incredible buildup to talk about. Some really, really awesome videos that we get to talk about. Uh, yeah. Some really fun jobber appearances as Mark Henry gets built up for this match uh, that we'll get to talk about here. And we've also got to cover how in the heck we went from Undertaker and uh, being the world champion feuding to, with Batista to him having to make a comeback at Unforgiven. And then just one of the craziest summers in WWE history as we talk about all the big things that were in store and were supposed to happen and then everything getting derailed by the greatest tragedy in WWE and professional wrestling history. So we'll share about that. We'll share our personal experiences about that, how it changed our perspective on the wrestling industry and all that stuff. Got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to cover some serious stuff, but also a lot of fun stuff as we do on this show. So we appreciate all you listeners out there being along for the ride and Man, without further ado, let's get to it, right? Let's get to it, man. I can't believe it's episode 129. It's crazy. So we're just burning through these uh, burning through these years, but there's so many more to go. So, <laughs> so many, many more to go. Oh, another God. 13 years. <laughs> well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get this hearse, time traveling hearse, that is, rolling, rolling, rolling back in time to 2007. We'll pick up where we last left off in Atlanta, where we were there, the Phillips Arena for Backlash, and that underrated last man standing match where Undertaker and Batista went to a draw, but Undertaker walked out with the title, retained the title, and it looked like we were headed for the third part of a trilogy on pay-per-view at least, but injuries are going to get in the way of that as we head to SmackDown on May 4th, 2007. Oh, may the fourth be with you. Oh, Star Wars Day. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was not a thing in 2007, I don't no. think. I don't remember nope. anyone saying that. No. I don't remember it until I was teaching high school in 2011, yeah. and one of my kids said to me, I was like, okay. And I was like, then the next day was Revenge of the Fifth. And I was like, oh, got it. I like it. I've never heard that. Well, I've never heard Revenge of the Fifth. No. Oh, yeah, it's May 5th, man. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> it's great. So, yeah, love those two days now. But, yeah, that was not a thing in 07. Well, 
the force was not with the undertaker apparently because <laughs> the dark side was the, the dark side for sure was the dark side of the force Always. is going to settle over the entire wwe roster it, specifically it smackdown the injury bug <laughs> is coming in strong uh, all week long after this backlash pay-per-view the rumors were swirling on the dirt sheets uh, travis i think you looked up some archival footage yeah. and articles and stuff about this but yeah undertaker does reportedly have a torn bicep we heard the commentary team talking about it on the pay-per-view. So this is going to cause him to miss a significant chunk of time here and have to take time off and end prematurely what was supposed to be uh, allegedly a pretty lengthy World Heavyweight title reign. Yeah, I was reading some stuff from Wrestling Inc., just from old archive articles, and I saw some Meltzer stuff too. Um, and they're just saying that's like, like you just said. Allegedly, he's supposed to have a really long title run. That's why he's in such good shape. Supposed to be the face of the brand. Just really put, just really get some more star power in the main event there. And um, carried on. This feud with Batista going to go on through at least one more pay-per-view match, like you said. And I was surmising last week as you and I were talking off-air is that I figured it was going to be, since we're headed toward Judgment Day in May, I assumed it was going to be Hell in a Cell because the last several years they've had a Hell in a Cell during May at either Bad Blood or Judgment Day. That's kind of one of the things. And having the non-finish, you know, would lead to, well, we got to have a finish in the Hell in a Cell. You know, just up the ante again. So I assume that was where it was headed. But um, who knows? We'll see where it actually heads here. But, yeah, bad, bad summer for injuries. And then, honestly, wor- way worse things than injuries right. coming, too. So Yeah, Hell in a Cell would have made a lot of sense. It's Undertaker's match. Uh, Batista had been in one before, too. So mm-hmm. it, it would have been a cool thing to see at this point. Uh, But they'll hold off those plans. Uh, Instead, Teddy Long is going to book a match for next week's SmackDown here with Batista and The Undertaker in a steel cage on next week's SmackDown for the world title. Uh, Batista comes out. He cuts a promo. He looks like he was ready to get on Jericho's cruise as he comes out here. Rockin', rockin' wrestler agency. Batista's fashion choices have been killing me these past few weeks. But, you know, I I thought they were a little suspect when he came back in 20. 14 13. they were suspect back in yes, these days were. dude like i did not remember that but, um. well he actually cuts a great short and to the point promo here he talks about what happened at backlash he says uh, he's been asking himself all week if it's really worth it if the world title is worth all this pain he's uh, been put through and he says and if i could have I would have stepped outside of my body and I would have slapped myself in the face for asking a stupid question like that. Is it worth it? Hell yes, it's worth it. Of course it's worth it. And I'm ready to do it again next week. And he slams the mic down. And it was just like two minutes. And it was intense. It was great. I loved it. Great yeah. promo. And like you mentioned last week, sometimes the less said for him, the better, you know. But just because he's that type of character doesn't need to talk too much. So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, we get another Mark Henry promo saying he's going to be returning soon. Hint, hint, hint. Remember that. Mm-hmm. And then we get a backstage promo of Undertaker. He's clutching his world title. Says that this past Sunday he took Batista's soul. He took his health. And next Friday, Batista's going to step into the Demon's Playground. And when it's all said and done, Batista will rest in peace. Eye roll, head bow, fade to black. And I think that gives further credence to what you were talking about there, Travis, because Devil's Playground, not usually a cage match. That's usually a nickname they reserve for Hell in the Cell. So maybe they cut this promo 
before they decided it was going to be a cage match and just use it anyway. I don't know, but I think that uh, helps give your theory, uh, makes it a little more, a lot more plausible. Yeah, I don't know that that really was yeah fuel to my fire for imagining that was actually what it was going to be too. So, but anyway, um, going moving on, we're going to get to this. We're actually going to go to Raw on May seventh, real quick. But before we get there, uh, I was doing some more digging and some around some more archive um, articles on WrestlingInc.com, and uh, actually three wrestlers got bit by the injury bug. But Taker's got that bicep injury. Um, Lashley got a damaged rotator cup, but it's not going to require surgery just yet. And then Mr. Kennedy tore his tricep at a house show over the weekend. And he is, um, that's going to play into what I'm about to cover here on this Raw. So allegedly, or not allegedly, factually, he got a, he tore his uh, tricep. They thought he was going to be out for months and months, maybe you know half the year. Turns out he's back within like Five, four or five weeks or Dude. something but it changes the whole landscape of the spring and the summer here um yeah imagine being kennedy and like you got the the money in the bank and you're the next chosen one and uh yeah this happens to you so well you put in your notes dude this this like basically it's not a career ender because i mean he's still wrestling now uh he's over in the nwa but right he's just never the same after this this what you're about to no. talk about pretty much ends all the momentum he's ever had and he just never recovers from this moment all for an injury that was not as bad as it was nearly uh, initially reported to be mm-hmm. yeah and i remember listening to an interview i think i spoke about it on here with um sean davari and kennedy were both on a wrestling inc uh this is not a plug for them i just happened to go to that website more <laughs> than anything sure i don't get paid by them but it was like a couple years ago but they're talking about that specific thing and he was like yeah i was actually really mad that like i came back so quick because it really messed a lot up for me but anyway what happens on may 7th on that raw is mr kennedy puts his money in the beef in the beef money in the money beef, in the beef. <laughs> mm, beefy that should be wendy's <laughs> wendy's new i was trying to say money in the brief money in the bank briefcase it came out money in the beef so anyway <laughs> he puts his money in the bank briefcase on the line against edge because he actually comes out and talks about how he was gonna um he promised that he would hold his his briefcase and cash it in at wrestlemania 24 next year and so edge confronts him and uh says you know sean michael's getting our title shot and talks about how kennedy's been running his mouth and you know when edge was money in the bank champ like champion he would put his on the line for against people and so basically he kind of goads kennedy into accepting that challenge and so um before they even start to match, Edge is beating the crap out of Kennedy, and um, Kennedy winds up. I don't know. He like kind of had a little bit of a face like type turn here, you know, right. where he's still wanting to go on and still wanting to wrestle the match. When the ref says, you know, the ref's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And Edge is just completely slaughtered him outside. But and he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine." So Edge spears him and pins him in less than like ten seconds. So really short quote-unquote match just had to get the the uh, beefcase the old beefcase off of uh, kennedy <laughs> so, <laughs> get it on a new piece of beef <laughs> exactly so uh and edge just beats him up again after the match writing kennedy off tv and um yeah but I, like i said man i just wrote like he, he just never recaptured that momentum when he came back so um but Thank God that they did this switch because it's going to lead to edge's rise you know he's already been a main eventer he beat john cena several times but he really really wasn't 
the top tier talent that he would go on to become. He's going to make SmackDown his show, and uh, we're going to get to enjoy that for a while here. So, yeah, that's that's going to kind of lead to the next SmackDown and how crazy things are going to take an even crazier turn if you guys don't remember what actually happens next. So, oh yes, everything getting put into motion here. We didn't realize what was happening at the time, but they're right. killing two birds with one stone by giving Edge uh, Kennedy's briefcase as Kennedy goes out of action for a little while. And then, uh, man, I remember reading the spoilers for this the next night. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's taped the next night. It doesn't air until May 11th, 2007, but I was shocked to see what happened on this episode of SmackDown. Uh, I'm not talking about the uh, the BMW, the black man working himself, Teddy Long, getting a back rub from Crystal Marshall, and <laughs> then uh, the Dalton boys, Jesse and Festus, come in and debut on SmackDown, um, and oh, then uh, Crystal makes a pivotal suggestion to Teddy Long. Remember last week we talked about Teddy Long wanting to take more time off to spend with Crystal. She suggests that he hire none other than Vicky Guerrero as his assistant general manager. So that's going to be the beginning of her rise to her infamous general manager role. So uh, that'll come into play with The Undertaker as well. So is uh, Undertaker responsible for that somehow? Um, <laughs> no. I don't know if we all. can do that. Just, no, we can't, <laughs> we can't even stretch that one. I was trying to. Um. We but Teddy, the Undertaker's number one fan, is responsible for yeah, it. Yeah, so he's connected and, you know. Teddy so sure, to, it yeah, works. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of Undertaker, we see clips of him and Batista's rivalry all throughout the night. Uh, just continues to make give it that big match feel. Uh, they do a tail of the tape, showing all the, the size and the accolades of both these guys here. And it lists the chokeslam from hell as one of Undertaker's signature moves. Yeah. Um, I think that's Kane's move, not Undertaker, but. Sure, we'll roll with it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when has that been the official title for the Undertaker's move? The choke slam from hell. I, I come on, man. I need to fire the graphics guy, I guess. Uh, yeah. And fire Kevin Dunn after the Royal Rumble on Sunday last <laughs> week, but that's another story. Uh, and so yeah, the the cage match is our big main event. It's got a big main event feel tonight. Yeah. Uh, JBL says both these guys smell like smoke because they've been through fire. Uh, and Undertaker slams the cage door behind him, as we've seen him do in matches mm-hmm. like this before. Just gives it that intensity here. And, dude, they work about 20 minutes. Uh, it's the opposite of what we saw on Monday with Kennedy. Kennedy's got an injury, and Edge beats him in 10 seconds, so he doesn't have to work. Undertaker, yeah. not going out like that, man. Torn mm-hmm. bicep is going to wrestle a full cage match, climb up and down the cage. Yeah. Uh, just... oh. and, um, eventually, the finish is uh, Undertaker and Batista dropping down the cage at uh, allegedly the same time. They're hitting their feet at the same time. So it's another draw between these two. Uh, meaning the Undertaker is going to retain his title again. Uh, and just an incredible performance by the Undertaker on his way out. It's crazy, man. And like, I just wrote, like, he is all that is man. Like, he is freaking taker, dude. Like, he wrestles 25 minutes with his, I mean, his arm. Dude, he's climbing. Yes. He's climbing over the top <laughs> rope. Like, oh, not the top, over the top of the cage. Like, with your bicep, you have to use it to climb. Like, I just don't understand how he did this, man. But, yeah, he was probably like, uh, I'm not going down in 10 seconds like Kennedy. Yeah. That tool. So, I'll, I'll give, give it 100%. 
it's so. probably one of those things where it's like it's injured. It's not gonna get any more injured. Right. It's gonna hurt like hell, but yeah, you know, I'm not gonna you know destroy it any worse. So whatever. Exactly. Uh, but so mad respect to him. Yeah. And it's not over for him. He's already been bloodied and beaten by uh, Batista here. But Mark Henry is gonna seize the opportunity. He's gonna come out. Somebody's gonna get their wig split, and he attacks the <laughs> dead man. Undertaker is helpless here as Mark Henry drives him into the post, the barricade, and I just wrote Undertaker. The announcers say this all the time, but I think he literally does look about as worse as we've ever seen him here. Mm-hmm. He's bloodied and lifeless here from Mark Henry. Yeah, he really does a good job <clears throat> putting putting over the beating he's got from Henry here. You know, uh, this when certain guys will sell for you, it makes. Oh, it makes a big difference, you know. Like when Taker will sell for you, it makes a big difference. It means you're putting, you're actually, what you're doing is actually hurting somebody. You know what I'm saying? So, like when Brock Lesnar sold during the Royal Rumble the other night, like that put Keith Lee, Big E, and Drew McIntyre like on the map right there. You know, it's just when when uh, an unstoppable force will sell for you, it means a lot more. Sorry, I'm going. No, Rumble I was talk, thinking but, the yeah. exact same thing. I was going to bring up the exact same thing. So I'm glad you did. Yeah, And so as Undertaker, he receives a couple of Mark Henry's big splashes, all this big, massive beat down here. Mark Henry, all right, he's making a big impact, returning to SmackDown. We think that's all there is. But wait just a second. Edge's music hits. And he said there wasn't anything anybody could do about it. Edge, you've got to be kidding me. No. And not quite as surprising as his Royal Rumble return this year, (laughs) which was incredible. Yes. But this was shocking back then as Edge jumps over from Raw to SmackDown with that Money in the Bank briefcase, hands it to Jimmy Corderas, and and Jimmy Corderas rings the bell. Uh, it's, It's not like currently, like more recent years, They'll wait till a guy gets back up on his feet for right. to start a Money in the Bank cash in. Undertaker's just down and dead, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no yeah. pun intended. And it just uh, Jimmy Corderas rings the bell. Edge goes for cover immediately, but Undertaker somehow kicks out. Edge tries again, Ric Flair <laughs> yes. style, uh, yes. and Taker kicks out again. And Edge is like, "Oh shoot, <laughs> I made a yep. huge mistake here." Uh, but Taker tries to sit up, and we see him do that thing we, we've seen him do a few times, where he goes for the sit up and then just collapses back to the mat. And so Edge backs up into the corner. He starts prepping himself for the spear. Undertaker barely gets back up on his feet, turns around. Edge hits a spear for the three count to steal the World Heavyweight Championship away and cash in that money in the bank. And like you said, Travis, really establish himself. Uh, establish that ultimate opportunist character yeah. that he uses for the rest of his career. And you know, he'd been world champion, but a lot of times that second... I guess this would be his third world title reign, but... Yeah. Even still, you know, that second or third world title reign is what really can push you over the top as not just a main eventer, but a top guy. Uh, And I think that's what this did. That's a great point, man, because like anybody can win the world title one time. We've seen that. We've seen the great Kali as a champion. We've seen Jinder Mahal as a champion. We've seen other guys have it for one time, one small uh, non-lengthy reign or whatever it is, or even a lengthy reign like Jinder. 
But when you give it, you get it back again or again. That's the faith of the company in you yeah. to put you as a top guy, you know. So some people want to say, well, you won it 16 times means you lost it 16 times. Like, yeah, but it means the company loves you and they know you do a daggum good job when you when you have that, you know. So that's a great point, man. Well, Edge tries to make another great point as he comes back in the ring and smashes Taker with that money in the brief. Yeah. Uh, money, money in the beef case. <laughs> it's hard to say, man. It's it is, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, once again, just really establishing himself as the top heel. A great shocking moment for SmackDown here. And as you pointed out, dude, this is also really well done because Undertaker's leaving for however long he's leaving, but he leaves with unfinished business with three separate guys. He's yeah. still got the feud with Batista because they keep going to draws. He's got the feud with Mark Henry who attacked him, and now he's got unfinished business with Edge. So he's set up for all sorts of feuds when he comes back. That And that's how you write a story, man. You just leave stuff open to fill in the blanks when you need to, man. I love that. Like I love that he has... He being Taker has three open-ended stories here for when he comes back. It's great. So. It's really well done, and like we said, yeah, this gives Undertaker time off to take uh, to heal a bicep injury. He's gonna come back in August. So normally we would just pick up where we left off there, but there is quite a bit going on in the in between time. A couple of major stories that we have to talk about. Uh, the biggest one, excuse me, not the biggest one. The first one that happened would be uh, Vince McMahon's limo exploding on June 11th, 2007. That was a draft night. That was a Vince McMahon appreciation night, a three-hour episode of Raw. And that was supposed to be the story of the summer. That was right. supposed to be this game-changing storyline that would impact WWE. I remember watching it with you and mm -hmm. just being like blown away i yeah, thought it was no a great, yeah. great idea i thought it was a cool concept but yeah never really got to go where it was supposed to go no it didn't um unfortunately but yeah i remember watching that at my apartment we were all just like dude like Vince just blew up like i mean <laughs> obviously it wasn't real but like what a cool what a cool cliffhanger man like that that's what's missing nowadays is a cliffhanger at the end of the show to draw you in for next week. They have that in Attitude Era all the time. You get it every now and then in little spurts. And even back then, they didn't do it much. But that, you see the chairman explode in a fiery limousine, you're like, dude, I've got to see what's going on next. So <laughs> that was awesome, man. It was awesome. And inspired by this moment, our boy, Teddy Long, he decides <clears throat> he's going to live in the moment. And on June 22nd on SmackDown, inspired by Vince McMahon, he proposes to Crystal Marshall, who initially runs away from him crying, but then takes a second look at the ring and accepts Teddy's proposal. So, <laughs> Not a your, good start. <laughs> there's your next big storyline that's going to impact things, and we do actually get a conclusion to that one. But of course, we don't get the conclusion to Vince McMahon's storyline because real life got in the way. So it's time to talk about June 24th, 2007, the most important and the most tragic event of the summer and maybe of all of wrestling history. So we're going to talk about the Chris Benoit family murder suicide that happened uh, during that time, sent shockwaves across the wrestling world, also, I mean, it was headline news for, for mm -hmm. days and, and weeks afterward. 
and yeah, we I think we've alluded to it a number of times on the show and how it really uh, was sort of a dividing point of our wrestling fandom. Uh, but Travis, you know, maybe you could just share um, your memories of of hearing the news, of finding out about it, and just first impressions of it because. Uh, I believe you would have heard it first because I yeah. was completely out of town and out of touch while all this was going on. So I'll talk about that in a minute. So since you were experiencing it live uh, and, and in real time, what was that like? Yeah, so it, I was taking a summer course, as I always did in college. I took one every every summer semester, and I was there at, at school. And I cannot remember. I didn't have a smartphone. Smartphones, in fact, I don't think the iPhone had come out yet. Um a lot of smartphones were PDAs or Blackberries at this point. So I can't remember if I was just online or what, but I got a, I, I, I was aware at some point very, very shortly after it happened that Chris Benoit has died. Um, he, the vengeance pay-per-view was the week was the night before or whatever. And, uh, we, he did, he no showed or whatever. That's what it was. Yeah. He had no showed that. And it was supposed to be him versus CM Punk for the ECW title. Allegedly Punk was going to go over. Um, yeah, but we instead, were so excited for that. Yeah. That's two of our favorite guys. Yeah. <laughs> let's back. Let me backtrack a minute because, uh, you know, uh, if you've been listening to the show, you know this, but, uh, if, if you missed some episodes or, or anything like that, I mean, Chris Benoit was both of our favorite wrestler. And I mean, yeah. like, an icon, a hero to us in a lot of yeah. ways. We'd followed his career since ECW and WCW, mm-hmm. all that. And, you know, like, I'm not saying we're unique because a lot of people could no. say that, but we just loved that technical wrestling more than anything. And just his intensity, his, uh, just his unmatched ability. Um, and, the, the reason why WrestleMania 20, why, why we wanted to go there, yeah, you know, we would have wanted to go there anyway, but but knowing that it was going to be Chris Benoit's crowning achievement, like, right? And he'd fought through so much, he'd been this great underdog. You never thought he'd reach the top of the mountain, um, and he finally did, and we got to be there for it. So that just increased our special fandom and connection with him. So. Uh, let me just put that out there as far as our reactions to everything yeah. and, and why we why we took it so hard too. Yeah, because he was he wasn't just another guy on the roster for for me or for you. He wasn't just another person in my life. I felt a personal connection with this dude. Like, and I know that's weird, but and this was before social media. We could actually talk to your heroes and online and re- get them to retweet your stuff. Like, he, that guy never met me, never met you, but like. Like I said, just felt a personal connection with him and the struggle he'd been through to make it to the top. Seeing, I had, I've, I've watched his Japanese matches so much. I had tapes I had traded, had stuff from eBay. I watched his Super J Cup stuff. I watched his stuff as Wild Pegasus. I've watched, I went back and watched everything from ECW. I mean, I've probably seen every match he'd ever done in WCW. I just loved all of it. His feuds with Sullivan, as the stuff with uh, Four Horsemen, anything he touched with Raven and DDP. Some of my favorite stuff uh, in WCW when he finally won the title from Sid uh, at Sold Out 2000. One of my favorite like nights as a fan. And the next day he he leaves and shows up in WWF. It's just like all yeah. of that was crazy to see. So he wasn't just another guy on the roster. Like I don't know how to, I don't want to disparage him by, but it's just some random Joe Schmo. Di- you know, did this on the roster today. It would still be awful, but like I 
I had a connection with this dude. You know, like you said, at WrestleMania 20, we had we were there, we were high fiving and hugging when he won. We had the, the confetti in our like I kept it in my wallet. Like you kept yeah, the confetti same. from that, like yeah, kept it, you know, because I just felt a personal connection. Call us marks, I don't care, but like that's yeah. what it was. So when this hit that he he no showed at Vengeance, uh, not at Champions the night before, like it was concerning because he doesn't do that. He was a professional. He's always there. You know, no matter how he feels, he's always there. Um, so it was concerning. So, yeah, I, I checked the news sites that morning and found out that he had died. And at this point, all you knew was that Chris Benoit had died um, and his family had died. You didn't know this whole story. WWE didn't know as well. So I called you and let you a voicemail, I believe, because you were at, as you mentioned, you were out of town. I'll let you expand upon that. But, um, I don't know how much you knew about the night before him not showing up. So I gave you the whole spiel about his, he was dead, his wife was dead and his son was dead. And then, um, just kind of left you a shaky voicemail telling you that I, you know, our hero's dead. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I want you to hear it from me, you know, your best friend and, you know, cohort and his fandom. Like, I want you to hear it from me that this had happened. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll let you take it from there. And we'll talk about that. I'll talk about the, the raw that night. So. Well, I mean, I don't think I even, <clears throat> I don't think I knew anything until the next day. Uh, I don't think I ever got that voicemail until okay. the next day. Like you said, I was at uh, uh, our church's youth camp, which we did up in the mountains. Yeah. And uh, uh, this year uh, we were in uh, uh, in Tennessee, up in either Tennessee or North Carolina. We would go back and forth. I can't remember which one it was then. So, and this was like you said, you know, thirteen years ago. So. Well, we had cell phones, but, you know, service was, you just didn't. Not even 3G. It was no. something less than that. Yeah. So, like, I didn't have hardly any service. Always. So, like, I wouldn't get a voicemail to, like, the next day or something like yeah. that or a text message or anything like that. So, I had no clue. You know, I just, I would go away for a week and be a counselor there and uh, put, you know, I would normally obsessed with wrestling 24-7 and would read Wrestling Observer website every day and everything, but I would just not pay attention to anything. So I had I had no clue until uh, the next morning. Yeah, and so we watched uh, Raw that night at my apartment. Me and uh, Josh, or we've talked about our friend Josh here on the show, Gibbs and Zilla, and um, Chuck uh, was there with us, and my roommate was there, and um, it was a, you know, those of you who know that it was a it was a tribute to Benoit because all we had known at this point is that he and his family had passed away. He didn't know any other stories. I don't I don't even want to hear the conspiracy theory stuff about what they did or didn't know at the time. What I know what what we know is that they they only knew what they you know what they knew and they felt it best to put on a, a tribute show. Now, did they find out during the show that something happened? Possibly, but it was a little too little too late at that point. But but our friend Chuck couldn't take it. Like he was so. Um, it was so hard for him to watch this show because he'd been a fan too. And he, he actually left my house, didn't even watch the rest of the show. But Josh and I sat there and watched it and it was hard for me. And I've only cried in wrestling a couple of times. And, uh, um, when edge retired, when, um, Daniel Bryan retired, I cried both those times, you know, and this night I cried like a little baby watching. You know, I'm probably cried a couple more times, but you know, I'm not too man enough to say that I haven't cried, you know, they're in wrestling and whatever. I know it's quote unquote fake, but it's, it's, it's our life and we love it. So, um, I cried like a baby this night watching this tribute to, to, you know, like I said, my favorite. He just got taken away from me, um, and I couldn't believe it. So, um, which a lot of people experienced um, a couple days ago when Kobe Bryant died. If that was their hero, now, let's put it in perspective here because what we're about to talk about. If that's your hero, little boys, 
all across the world and want to grow up, be an NBA player. They look to aspire to Kobe. Kobe came out of straight out of high school, became a phenomenon, had a great 20 year run, same team. Awesome. Always there. Yada, yada. Did he have his personal, whatever? I don't know. But anyway, horrible tragedy with him. Now, if that's your hero and then you find out the actual truth of what happened, if that, that, that your hero committed these acts, that's why we took it so hard. Um, you know, cause I found out later on the next morning what actually happened that Benoit had murdered his, his wife and son and then hung himself. And, uh, that rocked my world. Uh, that made me cry even harder, you know, cause like, how can you do that? Like, how can that even happen? I don't understand. And I've always, always, when people talk to me about it and talk about wrestling's fake, I've always said, I've always made the NBA connection with either Kobe or LeBron. Like, what if LeBron James, every little boy wants to play basketball, wants to be that guy? Like, what if that is the guy who did this to his family? Every one of those kids would feel betrayed by their hero doing that. And that's how I felt. Even though I was 21 years old, yeah. my little kid, I felt betrayed by my hero you know and a real life hero not not batman not some you know ninja turtle like a real a real man you know in a fake sport but a real man so um it really hurt uh, and i think i called you and told you the true story left you another voicemail about that too because i don't know that you would have gotten it so it was tough to uh share that via voicemail with you <laughs> yeah i don't mean i hope this isn't tasteless to say but it it I, i'm glad you brought up the kobe bryant thing is so interesting that that happened at the same time as we're talking about this yeah but it would be like if we found out kobe bryant was not just in a helicopter crash but somehow he took the steering wheel and exactly. drove yeah. it into a mountainside to kill yeah. everyone inside right. that would be like oh you experience this tragedy and then you find out oh this is dark this is evil right. this is something way worse than i ever mm-hmm. could possibly imagine and i think i think the nba comparison is about as close as you can get to this wrestling uh, uh to to a wrestling personality like chris benoit dying because you know they're in our lives so much if you're if you're yeah. a hardcore wrestling fan you see this guy every week some two or three times a week sometimes, sometimes yeah. there's no off season um they are playing a character but for, especially for a guy like him he's himself like right he's, yeah that's his name that's he doesn't wear a flashy costume he doesn't wear face paint or anything you just right. feel like you know that guy and you've known him for that long just like with kobe like people grew up with Co- our generation like saw him from the day he was in high school to you know till the day passed and yeah like almost every night with a with basketball it's about as close as you get to to a wrestling season so uh that connection you know it's not like to me it's not like your favorite actor dying or your no. favorite um even even your favorite musician you know it's, mm-hmm. it's a different it's a different connection that we have as wrestling fans like like I said we don't know these guys personally but we feel closer to them than we do any other kind of celebrity yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Well, I remember it was Tuesday. So it was the Tuesday after all this went down. I was in the middle of leading a Bible study with some high school guys. And I got a text from our my roommate at the time, um, 
the guy who went to the Georgia Dome with you to see Goldberg yeah. <laughs> win the yeah. world title. How funny is that? Yeah, he his name is Miles. He was not like a hardcore fan like us, but you know he would watch Raw with us sometimes, and he was into things. But I got a text from him, and it just said, "Did you hear about Chris Benoit?" And that was the first thing I'd heard anything about this go through. Like I just I must not have got your voicemails or anything, but my mind immediately jumped to the fact that he must be dead. Mm-hmm. Like for miles, who was not a fan to text me. Did you hear about Chris Benoit? Something had to have happened. And again, this was less than two years after Eddie Guerrero. And mm-hmm. just in a time when wrestlers were dropping like flies. And ever since Eddie Guerrero had died, I would kind of always thought Chris Benoit was going to be next just mm. because of steroids. Or, or, or drugs or something like that. Never thought it would be like this, but I was right. always just hoping and praying that he wouldn't end up like Eddie Guerrero. Just, I mean, if you look at the guy, <laughs> he's he's probably on some stuff. And, and yeah. I, I mean, that it, it'd come out after the fact that he was. So um, I just got that sinking feeling in my stomach. Um, and after the Bible study was over, I texted him and he confirmed that he was dead and then said like something went down with his family too and i was just like he didn't go into didn't give me all the details i don't know if he knew everything that morning yet uh but i was just very confused um and so uh we went out we would have to drive out from the camp to like further out on the campsite to do recreation in the afternoon and so like i had a little bit of service out there on the rec field so i remember that's when i called you and yeah man you dropped the bombs about everything and uh talked about not only was he dead but he had killed his his wife and his son and himself and all of this and it was just it was unfathomable and something you never could imagine no anyone doing much less somebody you looked up to um and just like you know just being 21 at that time just i I guess i was naive to that sort of evil uh being in the world and that sort of some someone being able to do something like that was just uh someone with a pretty squeaky clean record you know of course yeah it's not it's not like he had been in and out of jail for doing this kind of stuff or beating people or, you know, I'm saying like we found stuff out later on, maybe about his personal life that kind of got brushed under the rug. But like, as far as we knew in the public eye, he was pretty squeaky clean, you know? Yeah. So, and very honest about his feelings and stuff too. So not a very humble person too. So it was just very, like I said, evil is the, the key word there. You know? And, you know, I don't want to try to act like, we're the victims and all no, like, obviously, no, you know, no, his wife no and his son are the ones who suffered through this. We're just faint. We're just, you know, just trying to be honest about how we reacted yeah. to it. And probably a lot of you out there felt a lot of the same way, but man, I, I just, you know, I'm probably cried on the phone with you talking about it. I remember us just, yeah, we didn't know what to say. It was just shocking um, to hear yeah. that, to hear that reaction. And um, I probably got to react a little quicker than you did because I was home and you were away. And so I reacted pretty impulsively. And I was just like, I don't know if I can take this anymore. Like, I don't know if I can watch. I don't know if I can continue to watch. I mean, like I said, I had countless tapes just like just like best of Chris Benoit tapes. Like literally just his matches from like Japan and Mexico and 
all kind of stuff. And those went straight to the trash can. Like wow. I, I just straight trash can. I don't, I didn't want that. We had our little wrestling feds that we made for our figures. Well, we weren't playing with figures at this point. We're 21. We're not, you know, we're not <laughs> Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder here. Like, <laughs> but like I had all of our like match cards and all that kind of, we kept, we're nerds. We kept up with that kind of stuff. Oh, you yeah. know, our fake federations on the no mercy video game stuff. I threw all that in the trash. I just, I got rid of it all. Like I didn't want the memory of that to even to have a tangible evidence of that anymore. You know, um, I remember keeping a lot of my DVDs and some tapes like they were like, not just strictly crisp and washed up. Oh, the DVD of his from 2004, straight to the trash can. I don't even want this, you know? Um, I don't want anybody to even buy it off me. I want to throw it in the trash can. That's how I felt, you know? And so I'm pretty much within the next couple of days after that Tuesday, we found out I got rid of that stuff. Um, boxed up all my, all my tapes and DVDs and let them sit. I think once things kind of settled out, I, I sold a lot of them to Movie Stop. We mentioned Movie Stop on here. I sold a lot of them back. I gave some to you if you wanted them, probably, or whoever, Chuck, Josh, whatever. I just wanted to get rid of that and the memory of that because it was hard. And, like, it took me – it was very hard for me to cut wrestling out of my life because I just loved it so much. Yes. I mean, I don't – like, I just – I loved watching it on Mondays and Wednesdays or whatever. I, I love TNA. You know, we watched TNA back then when we could. Like, I love – I just love wrestling. It's, it's good. Nowadays, it's great, too. It's just wrestling all the time. So – but anyway, um, it was really hard. It's like I, I, I stopped watching. I would still read online the recaps of what mm. would happen at the shows, but I would actually stop watching. The, I, the first night I tuned back in and watched a whole episode of Raw was when Jericho came back later in the year. Yeah, And I just watched that Raw, and then I still had trouble watching a little bit more until probably right before WrestleMania 24, maybe Royal Rumble time. Um, I kind of got back into it. and uh, But it was hard, man, and I know you would feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, you know, I actually, it was weird to be at this church camp while this was going on, while my mind was elsewhere, uh, while I was supposed to be leading these kids. I just could not stop thinking about this and just the, the, the tragedy of it all, how someone could be capable of it. I remember I, I, I I like went and found a computer lab on campus there so I could just try to take an hour yeah. and, and read stuff on the internet and watch YouTube. Um, YouTube was around that. I, I looked up clips of like the, uh, the tribute show and like all mm-hmm. the, I was reading all the weird conspiracy theories and the, the Wikipedia stuff that went on the night yeah. before and all that. Just so much weird stuff going on and, and the text messages to, to Chavo and, Chavo and Oh man, just yeah. so, so, so bizarre still. But I remember just being devastated by it, not wondering, wondering how anyone could be capable of doing such a thing to their, to their family. And I was really glad I was at this camp with these kids. Cause I also felt really inspired by these kids sure. there too. Um, just seeing the depths that somebody could go to and then just seeing hope, uh, in these kids, um, and seeing just knowing that, you know, kind of feeling like I had a responsibility uh, to, um, to to work with these kids and try to make sure they don't go down a path that would ever sure, exactly. see them do that because because that could have been anybody. You know, I never. Oh yeah. I didn't feel like Chris Benoit was 
you know, predestined to do something like that. It's just like circumstances led him right. to that. And I wanted to see these kids and help them never have to go down that dark path. And I don't know, maybe that sounds overblown and cheesy to people, but that's, that's how I felt in the moment. That's how I reacted to it uh, in the moment. Um, but I uh, had the same reaction when I went home as you, man, I wrestling just didn't feel important anymore. It didn't feel the same anymore. And I think too, like I mentioned, Eddie Guerrero's passing and just so much, so much bad stuff had been happening in the wrestling industry for the past few years. It was, this yeah. was like a breaking point. Cause I, yeah. when Eddie passed, I've kind of questioned, man, do can I really support this business that just eats people up and spits them out so much? Like, yeah. you know, uh, and Benoit dying was just like, that was a huge giant straw on the camel's back. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I tried to watch Raw and SmackDown the next week, just kind of see like, well, how what are they gonna do right. after this happens? And it just it was not the same. It wasn't fun anymore. And just like you, man, I don't think we talked about it together or anything, but we just both decided we were just gonna take a break from WWE or um, didn't know if we'd ever go back. But just like man, just just cut it out, man. Uh, yeah. And really, what it was a it was a cold turkey stop and I used to watch DVDs and and VHSs every night, you know, while I was Mm -hmm. in bed or or something to go to sleep and just cut all that out. And I like, I didn't know what to do with myself (laughs) for a while. Uh, I got back, I got back into baseball. I got into football on Monday night, Monday night football to just, because I needed something to do on Monday nights uh, and I didn't wasn't a football fan before this. uh, But so I just needed something to fill that hole in my life. But uh, yeah, it was just strange. We, I felt like I was going to be a wrestling fan for the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden I'm not anymore. I sold a bunch of DVDs on eBay, uh, a bunch of rare DVDs that I wish I had now, but. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, like that. Me now, I wish I hadn't kind of acted so impulsively and gotten rid of some of that stuff. Cause it'd be fun to go back and read, not, not his match, but like get some of those DVDs and have them for stuff like talk and take, or I could show pictures of them or talk about owning these DVDs or those vhs's or whatever or like even my old wrestling fed stuff it'd be fun to go back and read that and uh just you know uh the nostalgia of it but i was impulsive and just angry you know and so um i couldn't do anything to uh any that was my my uh angry you know rebellious thing toward toward the wrestling business and toward christian while himself was to do that so Jokes on me because now I have none of those memories <laughs> anymore. But uh, I guess he won. But anyway, it was it was hard to get back in. It was hard to, to cut it out. But yeah, it was, that was our thing. Every Monday night, fifty two weeks a year, was like hang out at our apartment and watch it. You know, and then like pay per views, we try to get the big ones. And like, so it was like, what do we do now? <laughs> like that was because it wasn't like we just were like, we were hanging out, we were wrestling each other, we were fight, we were just you know having a good time, with our buddies, and it was just hard to to finally you know to kind of let that all go. So. But obviously, we're past that now. We so. persevered. Our friendship <laughs> stayed strong throughout that. Oh, yeah. Um, like you, yeah, I, re- I watched that Raw where Jericho came back later in this year just because mm-hmm. Jericho was – he'd been gone for a couple of years, and he was also always one of our boys. So mm-hmm. I was excited yeah. to see that. I remember I tuned in for part of the Raw 15th anniversary uh, during that yes. time yeah. just because, you know, I thought – wanted to see some legends on there 
And then in 08, the first HD Raw, uh, I wanted, mm. I watched a little bit of that just to see, oh, Raw's in HD. Yeah, because your roommate, your roommate had HD TV. And back mm-hmm. before they were like commonplace. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I so. wanted to see that. Uh, but we did not start watching really together or anything regularly until WrestleMania 24 the next year. Um, uh, so we'll talk about that show and why we got together to watch that one. And then the new still... <laughs> <laughs> it was still a couple months after that before we really got back into yeah. watching weekly stuff. Um, uh, yeah. But that started the ball rolling was WrestleMania 24. So we'll get to there. Uh, but really, uh, you know, we and, we and we're talking about all this just because we not just talk about The Undertaker on here. We talk about our journey as wrestling fans. We've talked about all 129 episodes and um, it's something that affected the way we watched wrestling. It affected our perspective. It affects the fact that we haven't seen most of this stuff that we're going to be right. talking about for the next five or six episodes. So exactly. um, we're coming at this. We were super fans before, but you know, just to be honest for the next six months, this is all new to us. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of you guys have seen it before. So forgive us if we miss something or do something wrong, but this is, uh, new stuff to us, and uh, we also skipped the a uh, Chris Benoit pay per view match with the Undertaker. It was on a UK pay per view. It's like four minutes long, so it wouldn't have been much of an episode anyway. But I, you know, I, we talked about it, and I told you, you know, to this day, and people may scoff at this, but I still don't watch Chris Benoit matches. Like if it's like a four way, which we covered on here or like mm-hmm. a Royal rumble or a money in the bank, that's okay. I can deal with that. But to me, it just, I don't enjoy it. It feels weird. It feels wrong. I personally cannot separate the incredible athlete and the incredible matches that he had with the incredibly awful acts that he committed. Right. And I don't have anything against people who do. No, I don't, agree with anyone who says he should be in the hall of fame. I don't understand those people out there. Nope. Like I'll never agree with that, but you know, by all means, if, if you can separate it and, and, and watch those matches, that's on you. But me personally to this day, I still can't. And I didn't want to devote an entire episode to talking to him. Uh, and so that's, that'll be the one match that we never do a full episode on and cover on here. But yeah, that's all of this are, love for him and then the heinous act that he committed that's why to this day we still can't really enjoy him yeah i tried to watch the royal rumble 03 match one time and i tried to watch wrestlemania 20 main event when i was just watching through the whole card and i just couldn't it's just hard especially wrestlemania 20 was hard to try to watch because we were there and you know just knowing our feelings that night but again uh, if those of you that are fans and this came and went, and you, you were able to still watch and move on. And it's no hard feelings. We just were mega uber Benoit fans, and it just really hit us hard, you know. Um, so it just really it hit everybody differently, and there's no, you know, no judgment. Don't judge us for taking it extra hard. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, and we don't judge anybody that just kind of was like, well, well, that sucks. He's a bad dude, and let's move on. Like that's what WWE had to do, you know. And they erased him, and we don't want to erase him pretending like he never existed either, because that would be stupid. So. That's why we're talking about it, but we're going to move on past this and um, going to go get into the rest of this uh, talking taker stuff and yeah. takers build up and um, yeah, hey, we'll take all you out there. Uh, give us your feedback. Tell us what you were thinking when all that went down. Tell yeah. us 
how you processed that news as a fan. Tell us how you moved past it. Did you have to take a break? Um, I know, I know, we're not alone. I know there were lots of people sure. who who took a break and quit watching during that time. So tell us about that. I mean, we love hearing all your Undertaker reactions, but we just love to hear um, how you processed that and how you went through that. So give us the feedback on on social media, and uh, we'll share some of that next week on the show as well. And yeah. I just want to reiterate again, uh, once again, the tragedy of all this is not that we couldn't watch wrestling. No, for a ab- few months. yeah, thank the you. The tragedy yeah. is that um, you know Chris Benoit murdered an innocent woman and and child, and that's yeah. that's the awful part of all this. So we we share our story just uh, just to commiserate and, and to share how it affected us, but it pales in comparison to what he uh, to the lives that he took. Right. I uh, just don't, I don't want anyone to get confused by how we feel about that. Absolutely. And then I feel bad for his oldest son, Daniel. Or no, Dan- was Daniel the one that passed He's away? He's the one that died. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, his oldest son. I can't remember his name, but he looks exactly yeah. like Chris. <laughs> and um, I've listened to him on Jericho's podcast and seen some interviews. With him. I just I feel really bad for him. I wish he would just distance himself from the, the business. He just... Yeah, he doesn't. I, there's no point, you know, man. Don't try. Like, I can't imagine I don't know. what goes on in his head. You know. No, I, I can't. I, I don't blame him, but yeah, I wish he would too. Yeah, I, I don't blame him if he wants to try to like show that the Benoit name can be good. But like, I don't. He's never gonna get touched by WWE. It's not his fault. You know. Yeah. He could be a great wrestler, a great kid, but it's not his fault. But I feel really bad for him when I see interviews with him and listen to him. You know, because again, it wasn't his fault for what happened. So yeah, again. The biggest loss was not the fact that we boohooed and threw our DVDs away. Uh, that Travis <laughs> Travis reacted that way and threw his stuff and ripped up his childhood uh, memories. That's not the biggest tragedy. The biggest tragedy is what actually occurred. So yeah, thank you for reiterating that. But but anyway, so getting back to Taker stuff, um, when Taker being out this whole summer, he's going to miss Judgment Day, One Night Stand, Vengeance Night Champions, the Great American Bash, and the SummerSlam. So first of all, that's a lot of pay-per-views in just a couple of months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just cramming them in there. But anyway, that's going to lead us into um, July 20th. Um, now it's Edge's turn to get bit by the injury bug. I can't remember which one, what injury he has, but he's forced to relinquish the world title. And um, there's a battle royal, and the great Kali winds up winning it. So if you think this <laughs> summer couldn't get much worse. Dude. <laughs> Storyline wise, not real life. The storyline, the great Kali is now your champion. We've so. talked about some crazy years. Ninety seven had so much insanity happen mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Oh uh, one and oh two had mm-hmm. so much plans changing. Oh seven's got to be right up there, man. With it's nuts. Triple man. H getting injured at the beginning of the year, and then this summer filled with injuries, and then you know, obviously, Chris Benoit blew up all, all sorts of plans. Um, change the whole McMahon storyline, you know, just, this is just insanity here. Um, but yeah, great Kali ends up the benefactor of that somehow with a world champion. Uh, I'm not sad that we're missing wrestling at this point when no, Great Kali no, no. is the world champion. <laughs> like you said, I also followed every, I, I still read about Raw and SmackDown every week. I just, I couldn't watch it, but for some reason, I couldn't break that habit of <laughs> right. keeping up with, with, with the business. So it was yeah. just rolling my eyes at the fact that <laughs> Great Kali was the world champion. But uh, Mark Henry is the guy we're going to focus on here as we start the build up into The Undertaker's return and into Unforgiven. It's going to be a little while, but we'll get there eventually. 
Uh, Mark Henry is going to start a roll of squash matches, dude. He is going to roll through quite the the cast of characters here. Yeah. And it's going to pick up on SmackDown July 27th. He squashes a dude named Joey Blaylock, but we've actually covered him before on the show. Uh, we he had another SmackDown appearance that we talked about, and oh, he yeah. is known today as Joey Ryan. So he definitely was on WWE's radar back at this time. He had a few squash matches, but didn't work out for him back in the day. Uh, does not work out for him this night as he gets run over <laughs> by Mark Henry, the Silverback. Uh, and this is his jungle, as he proclaims. There's not a man in that locker room. No, no. There's not a man or beast who can beat the world's strongest man. I am the silverback, and this is my jungle. And just absolutely murders this guy and is going to go on a run over these next few weeks. Yeah, and speaking of Silverback, I heard an interview. Uh, well, not interview. It was on Busted Open Radio where Mark Henry is a co-host, and he was talking about this specific summer and the Silverback uh, identity he was given by Vince and how he hated it, just absolutely hated it. He's like, I know it wasn't supposed to be a racial thing, but I'm a big black man, and I took it as a racial thing. He's like, you call me a gorilla, and that's not cool. Like, and he's like, Vince was just like, no, this is your jungle. Like, you're the king. Like, you're the you know, you're the silver back. You're the you're the biggest one. And like, he's like Vince literally didn't mean it in a racial way. He's like, I he's like I know. He's like, because I'll call Vince out and that stuff. And he said that, but he's like, no, you, you're gonna get with it. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good for you. And so he said every time I said silver back, I hated it. Mm. But 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 it also goes to show you how much of like a company dude Mark Henry is too. Because like if he understands Vince's mindset is not a racial thing, but he's doing it out there to try to get this character over. It. And like he does it every week and he does it for a while too so like i guess kudos to mark henry for actually seeing the events wasn't trying to be like that and we can all sit here and say yeah he was blah 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 but like i believe mark henry because he knows vince so um but anyway yeah well, it's not the weird. only thing that he could have taken as racial that we're going to talk about in this build-up <laughs> true sure and that <laughs> will that would be we'll funny get to that in a minute. <laughs> but uh but then, yeah, next week august 3rd mark henry's going to squash a guy who i honestly was like what is happening? I was like, is this a uh, Marco stunt or jungle boy? Like I just, it was crazy, man. It's, um, it's, it looks like sideshow Bob and jungle boy had a baby. <laughs> so his name's Nate Nickerson, but he squashes him. And then he gets a promo saying that nobody of consequence can beat me. And he shows us a video of his return. And when he assaulted the undertaker leading to take losing the world title. And then we see this like clip where the undertaker is being taken away by the Druids after that. That didn't air on SmackDown. Like I went back and watched it, and I was like, "That does not happen." So, I mean, I guess it happened after the cameras, after the live feed went off. But anyway, it was neat to see that apparently they carried him out like crucifix style out of the out of the arena. So, pretty cool. Yeah, I wonder if they like maybe they originally did that on .com or something because you know they would they probably get like exclusive or something. Yeah, Yeah, they did a lot of that stuff back in this time. But yeah, not shown on TV during that time, but. It's going to be shown on TV these next six weeks or so. No, um, yeah. If you missed the video this time, don't worry about it. <laughs> As we go to August 10th, 2007, Mark Henry squashes somebody by the name of Sterling Keenan. 
You guys might know him better as the SmackDown announcer Corey Graves uh, making <laughs> a rare in-ring appearance uh, you know, before his NXT days. This is pretty neat, man. I've never, mm-hmm. I haven't seen much of Corey Graves in the ring, so uh, it's because uh, I haven't watched all those NXT episodes from that time. But it was cool to see him actually uh, take a few bumps, and he takes oh, yeah. a few of them from Mark Henry, <laughs> who beats the crap right. out of him here. He makes him submit to a bear hug that's the new finisher that mark henry's trying to get over here and mark henry gets on the mic uh he's cuts the same promo that he's talked about the last few weeks calls himself the silverback again and says it's getting redundant now all the things that he's saying and talking about redundant he shows the same video (laughs) from last week of him beating up the undertaker except this time it gets interrupted we see some feedback and the graphics distorted and the undertaker like takes over the video and we see the creepy girls from judgment day 2000 if you can remember all the way (laughs) back then WWE always gets a lot of use out of their footage they do and they do this riddle or this saying that they're going to repeat week after week after week that i started the show by saying Um, it's all really well done and really well produced and all that sort of stuff here. But then they whisper unforgiven at the end of the video and the video shorts out. And I don't think that part played in the arena because they cut back to Mark Henry and he's just still talking. He like doesn't yeah. seem to notice that Undertaker took over the video. But he does notice a druid who has just appeared in the aisleway. And he is dropping some sand in front of him as he walks and then leaving footprints in the aisle behind him. And it's just kind of weird. Like There you go. <laughs> I don't know what that was supposed to signify, Travis. Well, I guess we'll kind of see what the sand is supposed to signify as these videos keep building and building. But yeah, right here, you're just like, okay, Mr. <laughs> Fuji's salt is all over the floor. So... Oh, Yokozuna's coming back? Yokozuna's coming back, yeah. Maybe so, but um, that's going to take us to the next week of August 17th, and Mark Henry is going to defeat a man by the name of Greg Cardona, which those of you nowadays might recognize that last name as the last name of uh, Matt Cardona, which is one Zachary Ryder. But here it was uh, uh, Greg Cardona, and you guys might recognize him as uh, one of uh, AEW's best friends, Trent Beretta, so... It's crazy, man. He, uh, it's weird to see these guys that are all like on TV nowadays just getting yeah. manhandled by Mark Henry <laughs> back then. So, yeah, but Henry does not want to be his best friend, and he manhandles him and defeats him with a bear hug, and then uh, gets back on the mic, repeats the same thing. You know, he's supreme. Shows that video again. Uh, he says, uh, "You know, you think Taker's coming back, and he's indestructible, but he's gone, and that's because of me." Mark Henry shows that video once again. The feed gets interrupted. We see images of Taker and that creepy voiceover again. Uh, we see a sign in the sand, though, in the desert for Death Valley. And uh, there's some people uh, digging up holes <laughs> so, <laughs> back there. But um, 
Then we cut back to the arena, and Mark Henry says that he ain't scared, and the gong hits, and the lights, the purple lights come on, and Mark Henry now looks like he's just ready. He's putting his dukes up. He's ready for a fight, and he's gonna he's ready to attack Undertaker if he's going to come after him. But we see two druids in the aisleway here, some walking, and uh, they're walking in the aisleway, standing in a pile of sand. Then the gong hits again, the lights go out, and the druids disappear, but there's still a little sandbox there for the – Mark Henry to play in. So, yeah, the crowd's chanting for Taker here as Mark Henry kind of walks up and rubs his hands through the sand and I guess to see if it's real or I don't know if he's just uh, seeing what the, like, coarseness of it is. I'm not sure if he's a sand <laughs> aficionado. Is it, is it good for him or not? I'm not sure, but he's running his hands through the sand. So, yeah. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't really get it, but you know what? I'm good with it. It's it's something different. It's some more old school mind game stuff. So it's yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But no. I'm cool with it. Well, I'm cool with it because it takes coming back. We hadn't seen him in a couple months, and um, you know, it's what was missing from the Batista rivalry we talked about. You know, exactly. some of this psychological stuff was missing, and that's one thing that we, we wished had been there. So. It was fun to see again. But again, we, last time we saw it was Mark Henry in 06. We saw this mind game stuff. That's so right. There's something about Mark, man. Well, on August 24th, 2007, uh, this is also right in the midst of Raw. <laughs> Vince McMahon has come back from the oh. dead. And now the no. new twist on the storyline is he's looking for his um, his son, his illegitimate child. So that's the storyline that's taken over Raw and SmackDown. So... After a backstage yeah, vignette. Yeah, thanks, Benoit. <laughs> you gave us that <laughs> gift. Yeah. Well, we see Chuck Palumbo uh, telling Mr. McMahon about uh, his mom and how his mom uh, ran over his dad with an 18-wheeler by accident. <laughs> That's a real vignette that happened backstage. Um, <laughs> oh, Mark Henry man. squashes Brad Allen, who is also, I guess he's an indie guy, uh, Brad yeah. Attitude. Um, I've heard that name before. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with that guy too much. But it's, um, I'll tell you what, man. These squash matches, they're doing a heck of a job of establishing Mark Henry as a monster. Yeah. And I'm not saying I want to go back to the days of all squash matches all the time on TV, but... They worked in the 70s, they worked in the 80s, they worked in the 90s, they worked in the 2000s. They work nowadays, like mm-hmm. Braun Strowman, Viking Raiders, uh, Nia Jax. Like, Eric Rowan's doing them now. Eric Rowan. Alistair Black basically is doing them now when he's not wrestling Buddy Murphy. Like, Guess yeah. what? It gets people over. It mm-hmm. makes them, makes the fans get behind them. It establishes their finishers. It makes you want to see them fight somebody else. So Right. Maybe we don't need to do it all the time, but we should definitely see more of it. And, it, and it's great here. Um, at some point in the match, uh, JBL says the only difference between God and Steve Spurrier is that God never mistook himself as Steve Spurrier. So I guess they're in South Carolina. I guess. Nice. So he's got to yeah. get a dig on Steve Spurrier. Uh, uh, just wanted to mention that. Go JBL. I agree with that. <laughs> Golly. Apropos of nothing, uh, Mark Henry gets on the mic again after the match, and he asks what we've all been thinking these past few weeks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? You bring out druids. What's with the sand? Is that supposed to intimidate me? 
don't get intimidated. I intimidate. Maybe you haven't seen my work. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. So, lights out, bell tolls, Purple Haze takes over the arena. We see another Undertaker video as we continue to see more and more of this scene in the desert. Takes us back out to Death Valley and we see these Birkenstock druids uh, digging up a chest out in the desert. And they open it up and there's the Undertaker symbol inside this chest with a snake crawling all over that XT logo. And then they pull it out of the chest and... The video says Unforgiven yet again. And Mark Henry seems a bit more freaked out by this video. Yeah. And once again, production values, outstanding for the for these videos. They continue to put themselves over the top with these uh, videos. Just really, 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 really well done. Oh, yeah. Good stuff, man. Really, really good stuff. Do you want, you want to mention the last bit of goodness that happened on this episode? I'll talk about it after you talk about the next guy. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So... The next week is SmackDown, uh, August 31st, and Eugene, Eugene got a gun. No. He's in the ring. <laughs> He's in the ring blowing that's, t-shirts. That's not words you want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't that kind of what's going on in America right now? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> is that too much? It might be. <laughs> Eugene got, got a, a gun. gun. <laughs> Oh, everybody's on a run. Well, somebody who's not on the run was Mark Henry. He comes out and interrupts. Eugene's shooting t-shirt gun. He's a t-shirt gun. <laughs> yeah, he's got a t-shirt gun. Blasting them out into the arena. <laughs> and then Mark Henry gets what if the storyline was just Eugene came out in the middle of the ring. He's, he's got a gun. <laughs> Eugene's got a gun. <laughs> Eugene got a gun. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, he SmackDown has gone off the rails. <laughs> it's about to, because Mark Henry gets in the ring and he's coming out to put an end to this foolishness, and Eugene <laughs> just blasts him in the gut hole <laughs> with a gun, with a t-shirt. He just mm. like boom, <laughs> just blasts Mark Henry right in the gut. Talk man. about money and the beef. <laughs> I hope that was like a quadruple X shirt, man. But yeah, right. Henry. Right in the beefcase. <laughs> you know, I wondered. <laughs> I wondered how we were going to make this Ben Wyatt a little lighthearted. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> With a t shirt right in the beefcase. <laughs> oh, man. I'm done. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so Henry's going to decimate him, bear hug him, and put him to sleep. Grabs a mic and says that seems that Taker's coming back and unforgiven. And uh, he's going to bloody his carcass again. But I think it was Batista that bloodied it, if I'm not mistaken, in the cage match. But who knows? Who's, who's, who's counting here? But he says he's going to take Taker back to the desert. I don't know what he's going to do with him there. But he says he's going to take him out of the desert. The lights go out. The gong hits. And the video on the screen picks up from last week, where we see um, in the in the in the desert there, and we see Taker's hand come up through the sand, and the word "unforgiven" is on the screen. And then Henry's kind of stroking his beard, like he's perplexed by this, and he's taking it back a little bit, showing a little more intimidation that he is intimidated a little bit uh, more than he has uh, the rest of this whole time. So, there you go. Whew. I have to say, 
I was perplexed week after week watching through this stuff by these Jesse and Festus vignettes, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how to say this tastefully, but I'm just flabbergasted that during this time, we had Eugene and Festus <laughs> both on SmackDown. We had two characters that I'm sure Bruce Pritchard would tell you, no, they're, they're, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not, they're not mentally challenged or disabled or anything, but right, they were. <laughs> that, yeah. that was both of their gimmicks. And yeah. in the year 2007, when we all knew better, I just... I'm just blown away watching this stuff. I, how did this happen? How was this real? <laughs> uh, it was. Can't believe it, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, the next week on SmackDown, uh, not not as much on this one here. Uh, this time, Undertaker's video it interrupts Colin JBL uh, talking at the announce table here, and this time we see a druid riding this one-horse, black-horse carriage through Death Valley, and we finally get a full-on glimpse of The Undertaker. He's standing tall on a mountaintop in Death Valley there. Uh, We cut back to the arena after that, and we see a druid in the ring this time. And Mark Henry comes out to confront him and grabs him as JBL just blatantly lies to us for the umpteenth time and says, no one has ever put their hands on a druid. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Revisionist uh, history there. Yep. Um, lights go out, and they come back on, and Mark Henry only has the druid's cloak in his hand. The druid has disappeared, and the purple haze comes on, and Mark Henry is just left confused uh, yet again. So, uh, again, I'm enjoying the mind games here. Uh, yeah. It's starting to, starting to be... It's it's something different, a change of pace than we've gotten the past couple of years. Yeah, and that's going to take us to the go home show here. This is um, the go home show for Unforgiven. This is uh, well, my wife's birthday, it's September fourteenth, two thousand seven. Um, and uh, apparently, before we get to the seriousness that we're going to talk about, there's a bachelor party for Teddy Long, as he's going to be getting married soon, and he's going to have Jesse and Festus, the Major Brothers, Ron Simmons. Butch Reed and Sergeant Slaughter. So that, that I want to clarify, those are the only people in the right. I wasn't naming some of the folks. I named all of the folks that were there. Jesse, Jesse and Festus, Festus, the Major Brothers, Ron Simmons, Butch Reed, and Sergeant Slaughter. Hey, Butch Reed. It's awesome. He has no like affiliation with him on WWE TV, but he's just there. I love it. So you talk about yeah. guys that love to party. Sergeant yeah. Slaughter at the top of my list. Yeah, that's it's the... crazy, man. Why is Sergeant Slaughter there? Why are the major brothers what there? They... <laughs> what are they doing? I don't understand it. Dude, but... I, I love all the Teddy Long wedding stuff. We got, we'll talk about the big ceremony on next week's episode. But I'm digging it. It was love hard for me to watch. <laughs> I just can't stand Crystal. But anyway, uh, yeah, I wonder who was at her bachelorette party. Like the what? What would like well, the female was, counterparts of this be? That was on the show. It was Tori and uh, Vigilian Hall and, and all those people. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's it just all the divas. Oh, well, that's not quite as exciting. <laughs> no, you imagine the night that these guys had, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Gallows. <laughs> yeah, Gallows is there. <laughs> Gallows and Ron Simmons. And, oh man, so good. Well, um, we're gonna hear some later on. Hear some ch- the Latin chanting and see the lights go, go out. 
and there is an absolutely enormous druid standing in the ring. I mean, the world's largest druid ever standing in the ring. And it's like, it really wasn't fooling anybody, but mm-hmm. of course it reveals itself to be uh, Mark Henry. Takes his cloak and his, you know, his, or his, his hood off, I guess, and draws boots from the crowd. And again, he wasn't really fooling anybody, but he says that Taker isn't the only one that can do Hocus Pocus. He says that, you know, he's sure that Taker's going to bring all his power to Unforgiven, but I'm going to bring all my power and I want you to take a look at my power. And he shows that same video of him annihilating Taker and uh, says he's that this is... He's real proud of this video. Oh, yeah. He's, 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 it's like, he's like your son or your, like your kid and he makes like a really cool, like, I don't know, video or like a drawing or Lego things. Like, look at this, Dad. And like every day he's like, look at this, Dad. And you have to like feign impression. Mm-hmm. Like, are you impressed by it? It's like, yeah. But he's like, this is reality. Well, then the, the lights go out. The gong interrupts, the bell tolls, and we get one more video from the guy who cannot be destroyed. Um, video from last week, and Taker's now walking through the Druids. Uh, they have torches in the desert at night, and he says, uh, me, the video says, Unforgiven, and we'll see his symbol in the background on fire. So that giant XT symbol on fire in the background of the desert. And then back at the arena, a lightning bolt is going to strike and hit the Taker symbol uh, there, the XT symbol, and set it on fire in the arena. Huge XT symbol hanging in front of the in front of the SmackDown fist, which I forgot the SmackDown fist was there for yeah, this long, you know. But anyway, it goes up in flames. So we have a cross. I mean, a symbol that's in mm. flames uh, on the in the desert, and another cross. I mean, symbol that's in flames in the arena. And over the PA system, we hear. Mark Henry. This Sunday, unforgiven, you will rest in peace. And Mark Henry is looking on at a flaming cross, I mean symbol, and he's stroking his beard. <laughs> Yikeroni. <laughs> yeah, so... You remember way, way back, I don't know, man, episode 40 or something like that, when Undertaker was feuding with Farouk and the Nation of Domination? And One of my favorite episodes of Talking Taker. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. What did Farouk call the Undertaker? The White Savior. The White Savior of the WWE. Right. And, man, the dead man just straight up lit a cross or a symbol on fire to intimidate an African-American wrestler in the ring. I don't think they quite thought this storyline through, but I couldn't help but notice that as I was watching As a it white back. man. Yeah. It was uncomfortable. Oh, man. <laughs> it's one of those things I'm sure Mark Henry and Bruce Pritchard and anybody associated with it would say, not what our intention, but. Right. It looks kind of weird when you really start to think about it. <laughs> And they're going to double down on it here as we head into Unforgiven 2007, September 16th from the FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee, a show that neither one of us had ever seen before. So we're going to experience it anew with you folks here. Uh, We rewatched it and we'll talk about what happened here. It's uh, 
This is the main event of this show. This is the really the selling yeah. point. Undertaker's on the poster, on the DVD. The video package to open the show doesn't talk about the world titles of the other brands or anything like that. It's solely focused on Undertaker and Mark Henry here as we see basically an extended version of these videos we've seen every week on SmackDown. And then instead of the little girl's voices, we hear like the standard WWE voiceover guy saying, he has risen, he walks again, the time is now, he has returned. Um, and again, I just want to say again, these videos are great. There's, we take them for granted, but the WWE production values are second to none, man. So well done. Oh yeah, they're absolutely great, but and like you said, man, there's no mention of any other wrestlers or anything. It's crazy. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe I counted six title matches on the show. Mm. And this is the main event. So that's pretty good. Gives you a uh, just a glimpse of the magnitude of Taker's return and what it means, you know, over an ECW title match, tag title <laughs> matches, world title, you know, over all that. But seriously, like, there's, I mean, there's a John Cena Randy Orton match, like, I believe. So. And that'll be pushed to the moon uh, later on, but you know, just it's really cool to see yeah. this get the the, the end and it shows you his drawing power. Yeah, and dude, what drew me into the drawing power is <laughs> Alter Bridge's "Rise Today" from their sophomore album uh, is the theme song. Again, we've talked about great wrestling bands and great bands, and this these guys are both, you know. And we've heard Alter Bridge recently on in WWE. We got oh. Edge's return, so they live um, on. Yeah, they do, man. But yeah, Rise Today was a great song off their second album. And uh, yeah, good stuff, man. And it's still intact here on the network, so I love that. They must have signed their life away when they signed that contract. I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. That song's been on many a many a running playlist and a workout playlist for me. It's a good one. Yeah. I will listen to some Alter Bridge this weekend. I'm sure I'll be inspired uh, by watching this stuff. Um, uh, they do note here in the intro that this is the 10th annual Unforgiven pay-per-view, which sure, kind of took me aback because you don't think of Unforgiven as like having this big legacy or anything, but right. yeah, Unforgiven was around for a long time. Uh, so I don't know, just kind of interesting note there. And uh, another interesting note, you mentioned this is the main event, but uh, we'll say for the SmackDown brand, Batista wins the world title back defeating Rey Mysterio and the Great Khali in a triple threat match. So uh, that will lead into The Undertaker's next pay-per-view opponent. Or mm. I think it's the next one. Yeah, I think it's the next one we'll cover. It'll be Undertaker and Batista. Yeah. So uh, just to point that out to where we're headed to after this. And yeah, man, this is the main event of the night with Cole and JBL on commentary and yet again points to the drawing power of the undertaker over all three other brands he's like a brand unto himself exactly he's the other brand so and um we see a video recapping all of mark henry's destruction to all these jobbers and then him you know defeating or beating up taker back in may and um being carried out by the druids and then that's going to morph into the return videos we've seen over the last month with the druids and everything and then mark henry's going to come out first um Comes out looking like Stone Cold from 2001. He's got a gold knee brace on. I love it. It was yeah. great. So Stone Cold Mark Henry here. He comes out. He's walking in Memphis. He's walking out with uh, – doesn't look scared, man. And he mouths. He's like, I promise I'm going to win tonight. I promise I'm going to win. So I, I love, love confident it. Mark Henry. Yeah, yes. he's great, dude. He's great. He's and, talking um, trash, mouthing off. It's it's awesome. Yeah, he really – which is what Stone Cold would have done in 2001 too. I love it. He's really like Stone Cold, you know, Stone Cold Mark Henry. I love it. But And then – 
again, talk about the production and stuff. Like, I can't put this over enough. There is a delay. He doesn't get in the ring, stand there, and then Taker's music hits. He gets in the ring. He stands there. The crowd knows Taker's coming back. They, they know he's coming back. So what does the production do? They let him soak it in for a minute. They let the crowd get into a frenzy. His music doesn't just immediately hit. You you get to see the crowd like get get up off their feet. They're anticipating. That anticipation is what builds this big pop Taker's going to get when he comes back out. So That's one of the things WWE does better than anybody, and they do it here. And, man, nobody makes a return like The Undertaker does. We've talked about some incredible ones throughout the years on this podcast. And, man, he just keeps taking it to another level here. So we hear the bell toll one time. The Latin chanting begins. The bell tolls again. A bolt of lightning strikes the entranceway and the backdrop of the entryway, this big sheet metal piece that says Unforgiven, collapses and falls apart. And we see the big XT Undertaker cross-like symbol there behind it. Lightning strikes again and then we see two more Undertaker cross-like symbols set on fire, which... Once again, perhaps not the most appropriate idea as he faces off against a big, strong African-American man. But we'll move on. The Taker symbol in the middle begins to rise, and then the Undertaker himself rises up from out of the ground with smoke all around him. Mark Henry is just shaking his head in the ring as Undertaker makes this epic walk out of the smoke and flames, and it is awesome it is awesome man i just wrote my notes that is how you make a return that is how you do it you get all that production and it was just awesome man again then the absence makes the heart grow fonder he'd been gone for months and again he's got this built-in feud with mark henry to come back to so it's great um it's great storytelling great production again he comes out walking slowly through memphis uh <laughs> yeah he's walking slowly through the flames as the crowd is cheering. Walking with and his they, feet, 10 feet off a of beal? 10 feet off a of beal. He, well, right. he's not levitating here like he was. Oh, that would have been <laughs> yeah, great. That be le- <laughs> Dude, if he <laughs> levitated, we could have said, walking with his feet, 10 feet off a of beal. It would have been great. So, but he was not. But he is definitely looking forward to getting out of Beale Street later on tonight after he's going to squash Mark Henry here. But the, 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 the silhouette of Taker there with his hands raised, it's just it's awesome, man. I just love it. But... Um, Taker comes out, he is laser focused, staring at Henry, and Henry is just mouthing off in the ring, just pacing, just talking and psyching himself up. And Taker gets in the ring after a long, long walk and removes his hat and his coat. And dude, this good brother is tanned up. He is a hair's a little bit longer and still looks in great shape like he did when he went out uh, back in May. So we we've talked about that the last couple episodes, how 07 was a really good physically fit year for the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and quite frankly, folks, it's all downhill from here. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah, want to yeah, yeah. go back on the WWE Network and or just on YouTube and watch this entrance, that's all you need to see. Um, <laughs> this match is going to be a bit of a disappointment after that awesome entrance. But let's talk about it here. Mark Henry, like you said, he's in the ring talking to himself, asking himself, do I really feel the way I feel? And... Uh, he 
backs down from Undertaker, but Undertaker comes right after him, uh, talking trash at him, and then throws some soup bones at him in the corner as the bell rings. And Undertaker, dude, he's he's back at himself, man. He intimidates Charles Robinson, hits a stinger splash in the corner, and he's he's ready to go. He hadn't missed a beat. No, he has not, man. And it made me laugh when he threw that first punch and Charles Robinson's like, call for the bell. Like, that's that we talked about that a long time ago in these episodes where, like, the matches wouldn't start until he would throw the first punch and the ref's like, go call for the bell. Ding, ding, ding. And, like, I just love that. Like, Taker dictates when the match mm-hmm. starts, you know, and not the ref. But, like, mm-hmm. he's going, the ref knows I'm not going to get a hold of this. Might as well let it go. I just, I love that attention to those little small things and nuances with Taker's character. So, good stuff, man. Like you said, he's going nuts on here. Big boots by Taker. Punches, headbutts. That's going to drive Henry to the mat. Taker's working the arm. Moves Henry to the corner. Goes for old school. But Henry is going to crotch him. He's been watching the tapes back. He remembers WrestleMania 22. Oh, yeah. He's been studying his tape. He's he's prepped. He's ready to go. He, unfortunately, though, is a little overconfident. Takes some time to talk trash. And he goes back in the corner. Undertaker catches him with a big boot. And one of the stories here, dude, is going to be this crowd. I mean, Memphis, legendary wrestling town, usually a good crowd. Maybe Undertaker's epic entrance just wore them out, dude, because they're just, you could hear a Mm. pin drop during this match for most of it. JBL, he mentions it a few times. He mentions it here, says, "Uh, look at this respect from the Memphis crowd. They're just sitting here watching. (laughs) Like... (laughs) They saw Flat Japan, out dude. Yeah. <laughs> Not on their feet, just sitting and watching. That's a sign of respect in Japan when the crowd is so like in your match, they're just quiet. You can you and you can't hear a pen drop. That's a good thing in Japan. But yeah, in Memphis and America, not not a good move. Not so, so much here. But uh yeah. kudos to Mark Henry though. He's gonna hoist up Undertaker up on the top rope and Mark Henry's just gonna connect with a freaking superplex on the Undertaker. Yeah. That really took me aback. Oh, yeah, I was blown away by both of them doing that. But they both get up, and Henry's punching Taker. Uh, there's a reversal, and then Taker's unloading with flurry punches on him, and Taker, uh, Henry's going to reverse an Irish whip and hits like a, a short, short-arm short clothesline to take Taker down, and then uh, Taker's getting kicked in the chest, and then he's going to get up and clothesline Mark Henry over the top rope to the outside because I think he can, at this point, it seems like he knows we got to turn something up and get this crowd back into it, so... He's nailing Henry's head off the barricade and punching him and rolls back in to break the ref's count and rolls back out because he's, he's going to take revenge on this guy who cost him his world title. Yeah, I mean, kudos to Undertaker for breaking the count and mm-hmm. playing by the rules here. We always appreciate that. Taker starts tearing away the announce table since Charles Robinson running away again with, a, with just a look. Uh, but, <laughs> but Henry slows down Undertaker with a shot to Death Valley. And then he slams Taker into the ring a few times, clotheslines uh, a woozy Undertaker who's selling like, man, he hasn't fully recovered from this injury and this time off yet. And then uh, Mark Henry hits a big splash and Undertaker barely kicks out of it. Oh, yeah. And he goes for another big splash and then another one and keeps doing them like over and over again and keeps getting two counts. And like you said, JBL reiterates, Memphis is in shock due to this match. Like, no. They're not. They're just bored, man. They're just like, bored. Yeah. But Henry's going to miss uh, the last splash as Taker sits up. And like you said, and they do the yeah, boo punches in the middle of the ring. Um, obviously, uh, 
Tanks when he gets the best of that, and Irish Whip Henry, and then he goes for the, what what we've dubbed on here the PTO, that flatliner, uh, the forward facing um, Russian leg sweep, but it doesn't really go so well. And like Taker falls, and Henry falls, and they kind of cover on commentary saying that Mark Henry reversed it, but I'm not sure what happened. But that's kind of where um, things fall apart. Well, quote that book we read in high school. <laughs> as you note. It looks the same whether Mark Henry reverses it or Undertaker hits it. Right, yeah. Because either way, Undertaker lands on his back and Mark Henry lands on top. So His face, yeah. It's it's never been one of my favorite moves in the no. first place. Uh, but it it's a weird spot here. And again, I just I can't help but notice how quiet the crowd is through all of it. They're confused with it. Um, it looks like Mark Henry is arguing with Charles Robinson and like, I guess he, him, they're trying to relay a spot or something. Cause Mark Henry just, it's like, he can't quite figure out what to do here at, at this point. He, he hoists Undertaker up and like, like Undertaker's like dead weight for him for this really awkward body slam. And they, these guys, I mean, they fought a bunch of times before, but they're just not clicking on this night. And it's, uh, it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and after that body slam, he does another big splash. And then instead of covering Taker, he just like poses for mm-hmm. the crowd, like which is just against the character that he had. And Taker sits up. So, yeah, something, something's off here. But And the crowd pops for Taker when he sits up, which is nice. But Taker goozles uh, Mark Henry here and starts punching him in the corner and hits two corner splashes, the stinger splashes. And then Taker's going to go. I guess 10 feet off the bill here, walking in Memphis on the top rope, man. He's old school. So there we go. He does, he does, he does go above Beale street there. So it's old school, which is always gets a good reaction from the crowd. Then he's going to signal for the choke slam. He connects with it, does the classic cover and Mark Henry kicks out at two. And (laughs) man, I felt like they really just should have called an audible right there with the way the match was going, the way the crowd was reacting that, could have just been the finish right there. But uh, they roll along because they've got another spot in mind. Uh, Taker kicks Henry in the gut, goes for the last ride, uh, but Mark Henry fights out of it. He hits the ropes, runs into a boot from Taker, and Taker comes running back, and Henry catches Undertaker in a bear hug, and that's going to take us to uh, another just awkward finish, I guess. Yeah, the bear hug just decimated all these jobbers for the last month and a half. And then pretty shortly after he Taker gets in the bear hug, he just goozles out of it and they get shoved to the corner. So, and they they kind of work their way into the corner um, where Taker's back is against the turnbuckle, and Mark Henry goes up to the middle rope for ten punches, and Taker grabs him and hits a last ride out of the corner and goes for the cover, and he just pins Mark Henry. In my opinion, it was out of nowhere. Like the yeah, finish should have been the the choke slam or like built up this more but it's just like here it is and at 11 minutes and 25 seconds the undertaker gets the pinfall here and um he's pacing in the ring the crowd's standing they're cheering the main events here taker won the big match but got his revenge but taker doesn't look too pleased in my opinion <laughs> yeah he's got his hands on his hips we've yeah. seen this look of displeasure on his face after some of his other uglier matches like mm-hmm. the luther reigns match comes to mind uh, and you know, there's been some others too where you could kind of tell that he, 
he doesn't throw hissy fits or anything no. like Randy Orton, but you can tell when Undertaker's not too pleased with the, the Goldberg match uh, last year yeah. comes yeah. to mind as well. Uh, but yeah, this one just never got off the ground. It never got going. It was all downhill after that entrance. But Undertaker shakes it off, hits that Shakespeare pose, as Michael Cole and JBL tell us. Ladies and gentlemen, don't be afraid. Be terrified. The dead man cometh. The Undertaker has risen. There was no forgiveness from the Undertaker tonight. Undertaker again does that signal for wanting this belt back, and the show goes off the air uh, with a whimper and not a bang. <laughs> yeah, and like for the main event, it just should have had a, in my opinion, should have had like a bigger, flashy ending, I guess you know. But it's what it is. But you know, I do want to give props to Henry for he should he doesn't have to take that last ride or that superplex like as a big guy like he is but but man that was just not a great match but yeah there's no real drama you knew taker was gonna win you knew he's gonna come back and win it's a foregone conclusion so but the fans are just there to see that happen but yeah i don't know they could have shaved this match in half and i'd have been just as satisfied as i am with it now so i don't know i think that's part of the problem too of being in the main event just being a foregone conclusion yeah we know what's gonna happen here and you know, it's not like a Undertaker Shawn Michaels combination where they're gonna pull out all the stops. You know, it's Undertaker Mark Henry. Like, yeah, their casket match was fun at WrestleMania. Maybe they should have done something more like that. Last man yeah. standing. I don't know, some sort of stipulation or something. But never quite got off the ground here. But that's our opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love to hear your opinion. Uh, so we want to hear your feedback on this, on everything we talked about here on the show. Were you as shocked as we were when Edge cashed in that money in the bank here on this episode? Uh, what was your reaction to all the Chris Benoit stuff? How did you take that in? How did you process all that? We'd love your feedback. Uh, tell us what you thought of this match. Hit us up at Talking Taker, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then... Of course, you can always leave a comment on your favorite podcast listening service on there. Leave a rating. Leave your feedback for the show. Uh, we appreciate you sharing the show, retweeting it, uh, put, passing it on to your friends and your fellow wrestling buddies. Anything you can do like that to help us continue to grow the show. Of course, remember that we've got t-shirts on sale over at tpublic.com if you want to throw a few bucks our way. And you can always use the code TALKINGTAKER at stitcher.com slash premium to get a free month of ad-free exclusive podcast listening over there. Uh, We're recording this one a little bit early, so I don't have everybody's feedback to read about this match. But uh, we'll throw some of that in on next week's episode as we keep this ride rolling, rolling, rolling on to the last ride. And we'll talk about our first Cyber Sunday on the podcast as Batista and The Undertaker face off with a very, very special guest referee, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it'd be fun to talk about old Stone Cold again on the show. Uh, Again, another match that Travis and I have never seen before. And uh, hey, why not throw a shout out to our boys over at the Bottom Line Wrestling Podcast as they cover the career of Stone Cold 
over on their show, Match by Match, like we do on ours, our good friends of the show. And I'm sure we'll mention them again next week as we talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think I've lost you, Travis. I don't know what I heard. Everything I saw everything. Oh, I don't know what me. happened. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You I was wondering why head. you didn't you didn't laugh because I said Chuck Norris. You said special guest. Uh, oh. You said no, special, I and I was like, I said Chuck Norris. I was like, he must have not heard me. I, I hear heard it. everything uh, you said. Yeah. Well, it made sense when you when you uh, said that you couldn't hear me. But yeah, I was like Chuck Norris. But <laughs> I, he, I got nothing from you. No, I, I got like, nothing. Sorry. He, no he, soldier. He, he didn't hear me. No, I knew you didn't hear me. It was a absolute blast it was (laughs) the 2018 we won't even cover on this show 2020 not 2018 2020 Royal Rumble Um, it was a blast we won't cover it because Taker's not in it but it was you want to talk about storytelling and fun and sports entertainment and just just unique and different which would have been nice for this Mark Henry match (laughs) to be unique and different but it was just a regular match but anyway yeah go go, do yourself a favor and watch that but um uh yeah there was a I did, I did spot Taker on the uh, WWE 24. I watched part of it from WrestleMania last year where he was there and Batista and him were talking like out of the rehearsals and Batista's like just so you know I'm going to use all your moves tonight and Taker <laughs> starts laughing he goes hey man as long as you're doing well that's fine with me so it was that's pretty funny was, I'm paraphrasing but that, was, that was the gist of the whole thing it was pretty funny so I can't wait to watch the rest of that and see if he's in it some more so yeah, but anyway those are uh, always really good oh really well done and, and man, how incredible was Edge's comeback at this Royal yeah. Rumble? I know we we talked about it uh, off air. Obviously, it was rumored, but neither one of us really thought it could happen. It just seemed impossible. And yeah. you know what a what a nice thing to, that we can end on here is like wrestling. That, that's why we were still fans after all the yeah. crap that we talked about uh, in the middle of this week's episode. All that depressing stuff. There's so much awesome stuff about pro mm-hmm. wrestling too, and it's not perfect. There's still crappy nope. stuff that happens in the pro wrestling world, but for moments like that, that you yep. thought would never happen, and then, man, you just you saw that emotion on Edge's face as mm-hmm. he was coming out, and he was nearly in tears as he mm-hmm. came out there um, in a much more positive way than all the stuff we talked about here. So exactly. That's a great thing to end on for us here. Um, we appreciate you guys listening and indulging us as we talked about that, but it was important for us to share that as we share about ourselves on this journey. And, um, just, yeah, thanks for listening to that folks. Absolutely. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Watch that. Yeah. Great storytelling. Great everything man like you said just really wrestling can be at its best sometimes and really take you away because again it was a bad day kobe bryant died you know it was bad news all, all over the, the news and so it was nice to take take yourself out of it that's what wrestling is supposed to be an escape from the real world so we have guys shooting t-shirt guns at people's beef cases <laughs> and guys we have crazy characters and gms getting married and crazy bachelor parties that's what we have that because wrestling can take you out of this this world and just gave you a fun time. So we're happy to, uh, the wrestling can be fun, you know, when it can be, but anyway, if you had fun in Memphis, if you were quiet during this main event on at the FedEx forum, let us know why you were so quiet. Were you just, was it because of the foregone conclusion that Taker's going to win or what? Were you just, you know, not sure uh, about the vignettes? Were you confused about who the big Druid was? Why was there sand everywhere? I don't know. Lots of questions going on. Let us know about your feelings from this show. Or if you remember watching that, let us know. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, take her easy. Hey, Chuck! How you doing, man? Good to see you. Hey, man. What's up, Vince? That's Mr. McMahon. But nonetheless, an impressive victory out there. Huh? What do you think, Coach? I mean, I, 
and, and an impressive bike as well. Very nice. I've got a bike uh, myself back home, a uh, big old boss horse. Big block, 502? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. My, uh, my mom says my dad was into bikes. Really? Really? Relax. I said my dad was into bikes. Problem was, he was also into Jack Daniels. He used to like to mix the both of them together. So one day they had to peel him off the grill of an 18-wheeler. Oh, my God. Chuck, we're so sorry, man. Nah. Not as sorry as my mom was. She was driving that 18-wheeler. <laughs>